Amen. Let's give, let's give these guys a, another round of applause. Isn't that awesome? Did you catch that louder and louder? I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. The rain is just coming down. What an amazing truth to be lived out in a real way right now. That is so cool. And we're singing about that, praising God in the middle of this storm. That's happening. That's just, that's so cool. Very, very cool. I um, want to welcome you to Farmington Baptist Church. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Seth Parnell. And as you just witnessed, now I am the official associate pastor. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you all to all your help that has helped lead me to this point. Um, it's it's pretty, a pretty awesome thing. Um, <clears throat> so now that I can officially preach from here, let's open up our Bibles. <laughs> We're going to go to the book of James. Um, some of you may have heard the last time that I spoke, I started a series that I'm going to be going through, and it's it's um, in the book of James, where we're just going to be covering a bunch of good stuff in the book of James, and the series title is called Just Do It. Because I don't know if you know this, but the book of James is full of awesome, practical, like this is how you do Christian life. This is what you need to do with the life that you have, the faith that you have. You need to do it. You need to do it. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, and, you know... A lot of times, we as Christians, we like to talk about our faith. We like to talk about God. We like to talk about the scriptures. And that's a good thing to do, because what better topic than to talk about Jesus Christ? I mean, that's an amazing thing. I know when I was at, in Bible college, um, that's something that I'll, my buddies, we would get together, and we were going through all these different classes about theology and the Bible and learning about these different things about God, and we would get together, and we discuss theology. And we almost, it was almost like roundtable discussions where we just try to hash out like, what, what is the Bible saying here? What do I need to believe about this particular verse? How do I need to interpret this? And it's awesome. But there comes a point where you got to stop talking. You got to stop talking and you got to start doing. You got to start doing your faith. And today's title of the message for today is do your faith. Do the faith. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And the passage is coming out of um, James chapter 2. Oh, there we go. The rain's starting to settle. It's coming out of James chapter 2. And my Bible has it titled this way. Yours probably does too. Faith without works is dead. And some things I want to, I want to just clarify up front is this particular passage is one that some may cause to be a little bit controversial in Scripture. Because if you're just to read it straight through, it almost looks like it's kind of contradicting other things in Scripture. It, if you were to read Paul's letters, Paul talks about a faith that is, there's no, there's no work involved in that saving faith. There's, no, there's nothing that we have to do to earn salvation, and that is true. James is not going against that. So I just want to throw that out up front. Spoiler alert, that's not what James is saying. That's not what I'm going to be preaching today. I do not want my reverendship revoked <laughs> by preaching heresy. That's not what's going to happen today. But I want to help you better understand what James is saying. Because in the middle of this, of this book of awesome, practical, let's do it, let's do the faith, let, here's some things that we can live out our faith, there's this awesome theological gem that has some good practical wisdom to it as well. 
but there's this great stuff that we're going we're gonna to dive into. Um, see, the temptation, if you were just to read James this specific passage without taking the whole book into context and what James is really trying to say, it's easy to start saying that we need to maybe not work for our salvation, but almost work, earn our keeps in the Christian faith. It's almost, you can almost get that connotation. And what happens is a lot of people, when they start to interpret this, they, they end up going into this legalistic way. And they start saying, well, in order to be a good Christian, I have to do all these good works, and I have to, to do these certain things, and I have to look a certain way, and I have to act a certain way, I have to dress a certain way. And you begin to chase this road of really what's called legalism. But then you take this over here, some things that, that Paul says in Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, that there's, there's nothing I have to do to earn my salvation, and that's, that's true. You know, Jesus Christ paid that price for me, but then that's, I don't have to do anything to live out my faith either. I just, I just have to believe. And that's not what Paul's saying, and this is not what James is saying. They're really saying the same thing. So let's get into it and see what he's really saying today. So we're going to be in James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. Faith without works is dead. So let's read this, um, this first verse here. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? All right, let's, let's pause there. Can that faith save him if he says he has faith but doesn't have works? I think something that we, in order to really understand this passage, we have to understand what works is. Works is not, um, a lot of times in our minds, this is what we begin to think, we, we begin to think that works maybe is like doing our religious duty or doing, um, I know some certain faiths, we'll, call, we'll, we'll say Catholics would say this, you have to go to uh, you have to go to the priest and confess your sins to the priest, or you have to give penance, or you have to pay a certain amount of money, and blah, blah, blah. And those are works. That's, that's, not, what, that's not what works James is talking about here. Ultimately, and this, is, this is my definition of what, what works is and what James is referring to. It's this, taking action according to God's will and commands found in Scripture taking action according to God's will and commands as found in Scripture, ultimately, works here is obedience. It's obedience to God. is is doing things, doing what God has commanded us to do. That's works. That's what James is talking about. So right off the bat, we're like, wait a second. I mean, we, gotta, we still got to understand some things here. We got to understand exactly what this is saying. And let's, let's, go to, let's go to what Paul has said as well. In Ephesians, we got this up here on the screen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right? Now, that's true. That's Scripture. Our salvation does not come from our own works. It comes from a work that Jesus Christ did on the cross but our salvation comes when we put our faith in God because of that work that he did. Romans 3.28, it says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So let's keep these verses in mind as we go into James. And maybe we'll understand a little bit why people have trouble interpreting and understanding these different things. 
as we read a little bit further, James gives this awesome illustration to help us better understand this. And in verse 15, it says this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So let's, let's think about that. If someone were to come to you and they say, you know, I really, I, I, need, some, I need some food. I'm really hungry. My family is starving. I really, I really need some food. And, you know, my, my, little, my little child over here, they don't have the clothes for the winter they need. And we're just, we're, we're not doing too well. And you were to look at them and say, oh, I, really, I really hope you can figure this out. I, go, go in peace. Go, go be well. Like, you're saying you hope that they're going to be okay, that they're going to figure this out. But if you have the means to help them, do you really hope that they're going to be okay? The, the question is, I mean, the answer is no. Because if you really hope that they would be okay and that they would be clothed and that they would be fed, you would, you would do that. So you're almost lying to them. You, you don't really hope that. To give you another illustration, um, this is something that happened yesterday with me and my brother. Um, we were working on my Jeep all day long yesterday. Now, something that you have to understand is my brother, he loves cars. He loves working on cars. I mean, he is a gearhead. Ever since the time he was driving, he's always been tinkering on them and trying to figure them out. Um, I am not. That is just not my forte. I like to do some things sometimes, and as I'm getting a little bit older, it makes me feel good to say, like, oh, yeah, I can, I can work on my vehicles, blah, blah, blah. But that's just, I don't have the passion that he does for that. Also, I don't have the same tools that he has. There's a lot of things that I just don't have that he has that makes things a lot easier. I also don't have the experience that he has in working on cars. So I called my brother up, and I said, look, my Jeep, the hitch on it is rusted out, and I've got a new one, and could you help me, could you help me put it on? I just, I really need your help. He said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And now I know he hoped that my Jeep would be fixed because, I don't know if you know this, but as much as I love my Jeep, I think he loves it even more. The current Jeep that I have, it was my very first vehicle, but when I got married, I didn't need it at that particular time, and I gave it back to my family. That way, he could drive it. And so for four years, he drove that Jeep, and he loved on that Jeep, and he fixed that Jeep, and he upgraded that Jeep, and he did some amazing things to that Jeep, and now he's about to get married, and he can't have it to where he's moving, so he said, I'll give it back to you. So now, I have my Jeep that, I mean, I liked my Jeep. It was awesome. Like, who doesn't like a Jeep? That's awesome. But he did all these upgrades. Now I get it back. So it's like I invested in my brother and I got this return back and it's, oh, it's awesome. But my brother loves it. And so instead of just saying, I hope it gets fixed, <laughs> instead of just saying, I hope you don't screw it up, <laughs> I hope you can fix it, he said, yeah, I'll be there. I'll help you. And so he took that step and he did something with his words. He didn't just speak it, but he took action. And that's the illustration James is saying here. It's not so much that, the, yes, we should be 
we should be giving of our, our resources to people in need, and we should be loving those who maybe don't have as much as us or are hungry. We should be feeding them. But that's not really the prescription here. That's the illustration. And he's saying in the same way, with your life and with your faith, with your walk with God, don't just say you trust God. Don't just say you believe in God. You need to do something and take action. You need to obey what he says. You need to work. It's not enough just to say it with your mouth, but you need to move with your feet and you need to do it. Do what God is calling you to do. Obey him. Obey his commands. So let's, let's move further. Um, yeah, actually, let's, let's go back. Ephesians. So I have, I have a scripture here I want us all to read. This is going back to Paul in Ephesians. We'll just read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Oftentimes we stop there. When we're memorizing this for either Obana or different, different scripture memorization programs, we oftentimes stop there. But 10 is also a very important verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works. We were created, designed to do good things. And that's important that we understand that. It's also important that we understand Paul is not conflicting with James. We're going to hopefully, early uh, as we continue this, we're going to see James isn't conflicting with Paul either. But let's, let's read further. In verse nine, or 18, I did this the first service too. I need, I need glasses. In verse 18, it says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the, the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, person that faith apart from works is useless? So let's, let's dive into this. James here is basically trash-talking. James is trash-talking to these people that don't believe that you need to work with your faith. He's saying, he's saying in a nutshell, he's saying you need to prove your, your faith. You need to prove it. Have you ever been on the playground as a kid at recess time, and you're out there with all your buddies, and someone makes this ludicrous claim, and they say, hey, guess what? I can jump 10 feet. Yeah. And you're like, what? That's like impossible. Like, yeah, I can jump 10 feet. I don't know. Did y'all ever do this on the playground? Someone just starts like saying these crazy things. What is your response to that? Prove it. Prove it. Are you say you can do this? Do it. Jump 10 feet. Let me see you. Or I say, I, I, can, I can run 100 miles per hour. I don't know if you grew up with these, these types of kids. I had all these kids, all the, all the time they were saying, they're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. All right, well, prove it. Essentially, that's what James is saying here. You say you can have faith, but no works. Prove it. How are you going to prove it? But then James says this, I will prove that I have faith by my works. I will prove it by my works. Because here's the thing. Works, 
being that obedience towards God, you can only be obedience towards God if you trust him, if you trust what he says, if you have faith in what he says. <clears throat> you don't read scripture and, and say, well, uh, I, don't, I don't really, I believe God, but I'm not going to do these things because I don't trust what he says is really, is really true. No, part of our proving our faith is by obeying God, obeying what he has said. So it, it would be easy to look at it this way. Yet someone, someone says they have faith in God. They say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in God. And you say, okay, well, well do, you, do you ever go to church? Well, I mean, I've, I've been to church a few times. I, I, every once in a while I might go. But you don't have to go to church in order to be saved. Yeah, that's true. It's not a requirement for salvation. But, but what, about, what about your Bible? Do you, do you ever pick up your Bible? Do you ever read God's Word and read what He has to say to you? Well, I mean, sometimes I read it. Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll do that, but not, not really, not a whole lot. But you don't have to read your Bible in order to be saved. Well, that's true. You don't have to read God's Word. I mean, you do need to hear what He says in order to understand salvation, but like, it's not a requirement for salvation to continually read the Bible. But what, do, you ever, do you ever help people in need? Do you ever show the love of Christ to others? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm real busy, and you know, I don't get to do that that often. and not, not really. But you don't have to do those things in order to be saved. That's true. But God tells us to do these things. God tells us that we need to be in church. We need to be fellowshipping with the body of Christ, that we need to read God's word, that we need to spend that time with him and understand who he is and have a relationship with him, that we need to go out, we need to help people. We need to help people in need and, and take that step. So if you say you have faith, but you're not obeying him, your faith is not alive. It's dead. You don't trust him. You don't trust in God. And essentially, that's what James is saying. But let's continue to read further because he gives an amazing example. He gives an amazing example here. He says, it, we'll just go back to verse 20. It says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, person that apart from works, that faith apart from works is useless? I can't speak. Is it something, Philip, it just, when you get up here, it just happens? You just can't speak anymore? All right, let's, we'll try this over. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Whoa. Okay. Now you kind of understand why people are are saying that you know, Paul and James, are, they're kind of conflicting here in what they're saying. Because if you remember what, what Paul was saying in Romans 3, 28, is that we are, not, we are justified by our faith. It's not by works. And James is saying that we're, we're justified by our works and not faith alone. That's like two completely different things. What in the world? But we have to understand what he's talking about here. See, there's this term called justification. It's a theological term. And basically, in theology, when you see justification, what it means is that God declared you as righteous. So let me just explain this. When you get saved and you have this sin account, 
but you get the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ washes you clean, there, at that point, God looks at you and he says, you know what, I don't see your filth and righteousness, I see, or sin, I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to declare you righteous. And that's oftentimes what we think of when we see the word justified or justification. But maybe that's not exactly what James is, is talking about here, that being declared righteous in that sense. Maybe what he's saying is more of what we would find in the English uh, definition textbook. What's the word? Dictionary. Thank you. Dictionary. Maybe, maybe that's what more what James is talking about. I know it was written in Greek, but still, let's look at this. In the English dictionary, it says this, justify, show or prove to be right or reasonable. Show or prove to be right or reasonable. What is this whole passage is talking about proving our faith? And James is saying that Abraham, he stepped out in faith and he did what was righteous. He proved to be obedient. He proved to have faith. And we're going to go back one slide. I don't think I did this in the first service, but we're going to go back one slide. And this, this is, I just want you to see this. James is not saying faith plus works equals salvation. That's not what James is saying. He's saying faith equals salvation plus works. When you have faith and you are saved and God changes you, there's something that happens and you are saved. But you get this little, this cool gift that's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prompts you and convicts you and gives you desires that are not of your own desire. It's of the desire of your Father. And this God's desire, our Father's desire, is for us to obey his commands. And so if we truly have faith and we trust in God, we're going to prove our faith through our works, by our works. And that's what he's saying with Abraham. So let's, let's take this, this instance of Abraham. Genesis 15, we go all the way back to the very beginning. And you know this. You guys are, you guys are smart. Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And God went to Abraham and said, through a vision, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many people, of a great nation. If you were to look up into the stars in the sky and you were to count them, if you were able, that's how many descendants would come from you. And the world would be blessed through your seed, through your lineage. And Abraham believed God, and it says that God counted that belief as righteousness. And Paul would agree with that too in Romans 4. He has a whole thing about that, a whole passage where he's going, yeah, Abraham's faith, God counted that as righteousness. But then James is taking it sort of a step further, and he's saying, but that outworking of that faith is, is demonstrated, is shown, Abraham proves it when God tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now think about this. God comes to you, and he says, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Whoa, that's crazy. But Abraham trusted in God. See, in Genesis 22, um, this is about 40 years after this instance in Genesis 15 when God made the covenant with Abraham. About 40 years later, God told Abraham, he said, I want you to take your son Isaac up to the mountain. I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice him there. What would be going through your mind at that point? 
first off, I mean, hopefully you love your child (laughs) and you don't want to do that. But also think about what God promised to Abraham in, in Genesis 15, that you would be a great nation. And Abraham didn't even have any children at that point, but he still trusted God. God gave him Isaac, but now God's taking Isaac away. And God's saying, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, we know, if we were to read all the way through, we know in Genesis 22 that God stops Abraham, and he doesn't allow Abraham to actually complete the sacrifice, and he provides a ram caught in a thicket, and God provides a way. But Abraham was going to follow God. He was going to take that step. He was going to work, and he was going to have faith and obedience to God. Now, but think of it this way. What if, what if Abraham didn't prove his faith? What if Abraham, when God came to him, God said, Abraham, I want you to go take your son. I want you to put him on the, sacrifice, on the altar and sacrifice him. And what if Abraham said, um, no. No, I'm not doing that. Like, why, why would you ask me to do that, God? That's, that's my son. I love him. That's the only son that I have that you promised. You promised me that you would give me this child. And you also promised that I would be a great nation and I, the world would be blessed through my descendants. God, how, what are you doing? You must be going crazy. Like, there's something up in heaven. You're just going, you're off the rocker. You're going bonkers here. No, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me to do that. And then Abraham didn't do it. Would he be proving his faith at that point? No. You see, Abraham had faith, and he did trust God, that even in this scenario that this doesn't make sense, even in a situation that just baffles the mind, how can this work out? God, I still trust you anyways. I'm going to do what you called me to do. I'm going to do what you told me to do. I'm going to follow your commands. I'm going to work. I'm going to obey you. And that's what Abraham did, is he trusted God. Guys, sometimes... God calls us to do things that just don't make sense. Sometimes the the commands that we have in Scripture that we need to listen to and abide by and follow, it doesn't always match up with what the world's saying over here and the flow of culture and, and where the world is going. And if we were to follow this over here, we wouldn't be able to match up with what the culture's doing over here. And it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why God would say this. And won't allow us to do this over here. It doesn't make sense sometimes when he calls you towards something that maybe you don't want to do. Or you can't see how it's going to work out. Or you can't understand, God, why would you want me to leave this career over here and start this new one and go in this direction? God, that just doesn't make sense to me. God, why would you want me to stay in this certain career here that I just, I just don't love? But I know, I know you're calling me to stay here, and I know this right thing, but I want to do something different. It doesn't make sense. And oftentimes, God calls us to obey him, even when we don't. We don't get it. We don't get it. I mean, if we're to look back in Scripture, there are countless times that this happens. One of them, obviously, is when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. It didn't make sense for him to do that. It didn't make sense for the people of Israel, for Joshua to lead them to the land of giants 
And God told them to go attack this land. It would be their land, but they just had to fight these people who were there and claim their, their space. That didn't make sense to them. How, we're weak. How are we going to do this? And some of them didn't have faith, but a few, of them, a few of them did. It didn't make sense when God called Joshua to go around the city of Jericho and march around the walls for seven days on the seventh day to march around seven times and then yell. Like, what kind of battle strategy is that? We're just going to walk around and then we're going to yell at the top of our lungs. Was that going to, like, scare everybody away? Like, that doesn't make sense. But they obeyed God anyway. You know something else that didn't make sense? (laughs) Is when Jesus died on the cross. He had followers. He had 12 disciples. 11 of them were faithful disciples. One of them was not Judas. But these men loved Jesus. They followed him. They listened to his commands. They listened to him and they obeyed him. And they did what he said. And they knew that there was going to be a kingdom to come. And they knew that Jesus was going to establish this kingdom. They knew that he was the Messiah and he was the chosen one. And things were going to be great in this kingdom. And then Jesus gets arrested. And then Jesus gets tried. And then Jesus gets sentenced to death on a cross. They're very the very person they were worshiping, this was supposed to be the son of God. This was supposed to be God in the flesh. This was supposed to be our king. And now he's dead. That doesn't make sense. But thankfully, Jesus had faith. You know, the disciples may not have truly trusted or understood what was going on, but Jesus had faith This is what we can't comprehend in himself, in God, in his Father, you know, the whole Trinity. We can't comprehend that. But Jesus still obeyed what God said. And he carried out that faith. And he carried out that obedience. And he went to the cross, knowing that this was going to be the best thing the world could ever experience, ever, ever receive. The free gift of salvation by faith through grace. Sometimes when God calls you to do things, it doesn't make sense. But do you trust him enough to obey him? Do you trust him enough to take that step, to take that risk? Um, someone brought to my attention after the first service something they heard to, to do something ridiculous for Jesus. To do something ridiculous, to take that risk and go out and just have faith and say, you know what? I'm going to take this step and I don't know where I'm going to land And I don't know if I'm going to be okay, but God said I needed to do it, so I'm going to start walking in that direction. I'm going to take the steps that I need to take. I'm going to obey you, God. Are you willing to do that? Do you trust God enough to do that? Now, I do want to warn you, there are times that you may think that you're hearing the voice of God, but really it's not his voice. Sometimes... We, we just get that mixed up, and we need to be discerning, and we need to be praying in the Spirit to make sure we understand this is what God is telling me to do. Sometimes it's just your own self. It's your own will that's telling you to do this. Sometimes it's the people around you that's telling you to do this. Sometimes it's Satan and his demons whispering lies to you that you need to do, blah, 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 and things will work out. 
you need to make sure you know how to discern God's voice. And I don't have time to unpack that today. I'm not going to preach on that. You can go to our YouTube page and you can listen to last week's message that Pastor Philip taught. He had an awesome point in there about listening to the voice of Jesus and how to listen and what you need to do and, and how Jesus speaks to us. And ultimately, it's through. It's through his word. Ultimately, it's through his word. So make sure you are listening to the voice of God, but make sure that you're trusting him, that when he calls you to do that thing that is very, very difficult, or just doesn't make sense, you have faith in him, and you're willing to step out in obedience and trust him. I heard this a long time ago from from a certain pastor, and he said this, that Jesus is worthy of all of our yeses. Jesus is worthy of all of our yeses. Anytime that he calls us to something, anytime he asks us to do something, even if it's something as simple as just following my commands in Scripture and living the way of holiness and righteousness, Jesus is worthy of our yeses. So often we, we hold our yeses back. So often we want to say, no, I'm going to do it my way because I like my way a lot better. My way makes sense to my brain. But God doesn't have our brain. God has a better, a better brain than ours, our finite minds. God is much better, better and much bigger than that. Jesus is worthy of your yeses. Are you willing to follow him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us to step out in faith, to step out in obedience, to step out in trust. And sometimes they're hard. Sometimes it's hard to follow you when the world around us is not, when the friends around us are not. It's hard to take that step and to stand on faith and to walk in obedience. And that's what James is talking about. God, I pray that we would prove the faith that we have in you by doing what you've called us to do, by walking in obedience, by trusting you, God. And Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to do that. Sometimes these opportunities are not fun and and they, they stretch us from our comfort zone, but God, I pray that you would give us the blessing that always comes after trusting you, always comes after obeying you. And Lord, I pray that when those opportunities come, that we would seek you with all of our heart and that we would trust you and we would take that step in obedience. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for, I thank you for what this church means to me and, and my family. And God, I know what it means to so many other people and their families, God. And I thank you for what you're doing. And God, I pray you continue to do it and just lead us in the right way and help us to be obedient always and forever towards you and to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, sometimes God tells you exactly what you need to do, and then you have to take a step of faith to do it. But sometimes God allows a circumstance to come into your life that you really don't like that much. And when he sends that bad circumstance into your life, that is the moment that he wants you to take a step of faith and live for him in that moment. We have a a member of our church, his name is Paul Stewart. And if you know Paul, he's just a gem. He's dedicated to God, was a pastor before, and now is doing some mission work in Zambia. I mean, he's, he's absolutely amazing. 
Well, yesterday he was moving wood on a wood pile and he uncovered a yellow jacket's nest and he stepped back and he fell and he broke his hip. And this morning he went into surgery. Well, Paul's a great guy. So why in the world did that circumstance happen? And it's my belief that it happened because Paul is going to give the gospel to his surgeon, to his doctors, to his nurses, to everybody that is in the hospital. Now, am I sad that this happened? And do I wish that it didn't happen to Paul? Absolutely. But God in his plan put that in Paul's path so that he could have a mission field somewhere else this morning than Farmington Baptist Church. Are you tracking? So sometimes God says, hey, I'm going to let this happen to you so that you can be what you need to be for me to give me honor and glory and, and let me use you in this moment of weakness. And that's precisely what happens. So whatever it is, if God tells you to do something, be faithful and move. And if God gives you a bad circumstance, be faithful and move that God knows what he's doing. He just wants you to act like a Christian while the bad time is happening. Because at the end of the day, Faith equals salvation, and salvation equals works. So let's stand and sing this invitation song, and the altar is open, and both Seth and I are here if you need us to pray for you. So as we sing this closing number. You won't fail. 